Bless the Lord this morning. How's everyone doing? Good, good. Just a great time of worship with you this morning. God's doing something in this house. I really believe he's going to do some healing, some work. Uh, the, it's, everything's lining up today, and I just pray that you would be blessed. And uh, as, let's just pray. And then let the Lord do some open-heart surgery and uh, have his way in our lives. Amen? Amen. You know, I, as I think about it, uh, you know, walking with the Lord the 30 plus years, you know, I need him more today, more this moment than I needed him those 30 years ago. It's just amazing how much you, you really need the Lord. And it just, when, it, when Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, how true was that word? You know, without him, we can do nothing. With him, we can do all things. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we, we just come before you, Lord, as people in need of you desperately. And Lord, you know the issues of our lives. You know the places that, Lord, we, we hide. And I ask you, Lord, today that you shine your light upon our hearts and that you would do, you would walk down these aisles and, Lord, you would touch hearts, touch lives, touch spirits and do according to your good pleasure that you would receive all the glory. We thank you for this place. We thank you for our pastor. We ask you, Lord, to bless him be with his family, minister to them according to your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, on Wednesday night, uh, if, if you were here, Pastor Frank was talking on spiritual warfare. And he talked about being ready to engage the enemy and not being prepared to fight against the enemy's schemes. One scheme that, the, that Pastor Frank talked about was the enemy using fear to intimidate us and render us ineffective. Today, I want to touch on another scheme of the wicked one. And this scheme of Satan is just as old as time itself. Matter of fact, its origins were introduced in the Garden of Eden. And I'm just going to read quickly from Genesis chapter 3. You don't need to turn there. If you want to, uh, our landing point or where we're going to be is going to be Psalm 25. So if you want to get there, that's okay. And uh, we'll, we'll arrive and um, we'll, we'll look into that in just a few minutes. But in Genesis chapter 3, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked. 
So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and the woman, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And he hit and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But God said to the man, "Where are you?" Now, what we're seeing here is the enemy tempting man partaking and then man falling but the, the the interesting thing here is is that it talks about that their eyes were open and then they realized that they were naked so the first thing to enter into their lives when they partook of the fruit was shame there was no shame in the garden until that point the very first thing when, when, when it says their eyes were open and they saw each other now when the glory had left and they saw each other's nakedness, shame entered into the picture. And what did they begin to do? They covered themselves. They covered their nakedness. They covered their shame. Then the Lord God walked in the garden and they hid. They hid in their shame and they hid in their fear. And so one of the schemes that I want to talk about today is I want to talk about shame. Because it is debilitating and it hurts us. It causes us to hide and causes us to stay bound and to repeat the same mistakes over and over again. It destroys intimacy. It destroys trust. It destroys our relationship to God and it destroys our relationship to one another. And today God wants to deal with shame. See, shame is one of the first feelings that came upon Adam and Eve in the garden when they immediately fell. Shame caused them to cover their nakedness. Shame caused them to hide from God. Shame is a debilitating weapon used by Satan to separate us from God and others and even from the purposes of God. God has called each and every one of us to individual things and yet... Shame enters the picture and say, I can't do that, God. I'm not good enough. Shame begins to ask us questions about God. Why, do, why is it like this? Why do things happen this way? Where are you, God? Or even if you feel God is near, you feel unworthy to receive the blessings, the faithfulness, and the goodness of God because we're bound in shame. For some, shame, shame was used in our formative years as a means of control and manipulation. And because we grew up in, maybe in a place where there was not a lot of love, but a place of a lot of anger and a lot of shame, we're used to living in this life of shame. And God wants to break that, that power over your life today. Say amen. See, first of all, we have to realize shame is not from God. God does not shame his children. You know, growing up, if you heard shame on you and you receive shame, God never utters those words, shame on you. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. He's a God of tender mercies and loving kindness. He's long-suffering. He's patient. He's kind. He's gentle. He's strong. He's all of those things. God does not have shame, nor does he use shame to control his people. Matter of fact, 
God doesn't have control issues. He doesn't control you. What he looks for is submission. And so shame is not a product or a character of God, but it is of Satan. And today we're going to expose him, his lies and his schemes in our lives. And we're going to drive shame from our lives. Say amen. So if you in your formative years were one who grew up under that burden of shame, God wants to set you free today. See, shame is not from God. Though he's familiar with it through, the, through his son Jesus on the cross, where it says that Jesus, seeing the cross and the glory after it, despised the shame of it. So Jesus is someone who's familiar with the emotions that come with shame because the Bible tells us that he was tempted in every way like us. He was fully man and fully God and he knows the emotions and the stronghold of shame yet he was one who defeated it. Amen? Amen. See, there is no shame in God. He is the epitome of love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, kindness, patience, all of these attributes that God has, and shame is not one of them. If these characteristics of God, it is these characteristics of God that is the antidote against the poison of shame's effect on us. And if shame is a tool the enemy uses to drive a wedge between God and our relationship to him, then we can deal with and break the hold that shame has over our lives. Today I want to show you from Psalm 25 that there are four ways that shame is conquered in our lives. Let's turn to, to Psalm 25. This week when I was asking the Lord what it is to speak on and really um, sometimes it's immediate. Sometimes God doesn't give it to me right away. But when, when he had given this to me, it was like, there are some topics that you want to discuss that seem easy. And it's like, oh, you, and then there's some you're just like, oh, this is good. This is, you know, it, it, it was like, it, it stung even me. And I'm like, and the struggle to, to put this word together. And I, and, and I was trying in my own strength. And then I just re remember just letting it go. And immediately how the Lord drew me to this word. And I was like, there it is. There it is. And um, I thank the Lord for it. Let's begin to read Psalm 25. Now I'm reading out of the NIV this morning. Um, just because it, it, it says it the way that I, I remember it being said. And I like the way it says it. And that's all I got to say about that. All right. I know some people when they hear NIV, they're like, oh, um, I have a number of Bibles in my, in my office, and um, I'm not afraid to use any one of them. So today we're going to use this one. It says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame, but they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. Show me your ways, O Lord. 
Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior. And my hope is in you all day long. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love. For they are from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For you are good, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. He will spend his days in prosperity, and his descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have multiplied. Free me from my anguish. Look upon my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how my enemies have increased and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope is in you. Redeem Israel, O God, from all their troubles. Amen, amen. It was amazing this morning, uh, the first song that come up immediately started to talk about shame. And I was like, oh God, you're onto something this morning, this is good. And, then, and a lot of what was going on in worship today was preparing our hearts for healing. See, we all need healing in some place in our lives. And it's the place that we need healing that we tend to hide. And when we hide, what happens is the enemy brings upon us shame. We don't all have it together. Or let me put it this way. I don't have it all together. And you may be friends with me on Facebook. And it looks like I've got it all together. There are not angels living in my house. They don't cook our food. They don't make our bed. They don't use their wings to cool us in the evening. Au contraire. I love, you know, sometimes I look and I say, you know, I'd love to uh, see somebody put up a Facebook picture of when, they're, when we're fighting. When things aren't going right. You know, when you kick the cat and scream at the dog, those things like that. Life isn't perfect. And neither are we. But we serve a perfect God. Who perfectly loves us. And is perfectly equipped in all his attributes to deal with our shame. So I want to talk about four ways shame can be conquered in our life through Psalm 25 today. 
the first thing we have to understand is what shame does is it robs us of hope. There are times in our life when we say this will never change. Things will always be like this. I can't do it. Or we make false promises only to repeat the same things and find ourselves in a cycle of shame. See, the first thing you have to do is you have to find hope in God alone. David says this. David wrote this psalm and he says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. David is dealing with an issue in his life that brought him shame. King David, who killed a giant, who was commander of armies, who as we've seen as Pastor Rick is showing us the life of David is someone we'd want to mimic. An honorable man. A man who would not kill his enemy twice when he had the power in his hand to do so. A man who feared God. But yet, there was an issue in David's heart. And because he hid it from the Lord, it brought great shame on him. And because he brought shame on him, and he knew his only relief was from the Lord, he sought him. And he wrote this psalm. And in it, he begins to, to show ways of coming out. The first thing is we have to find our hope in God. See, hope destroys shame. Shame destroys hope. So you can, it really is the choice of how do you want to live? Do you want to find hope in your situation? Or do you want to find shame in your situation? See, shame causes us to look inward. I'll never change. Or sometimes we say, you'll never change. We sometimes say, what's the use? God can do it in others, but he can't do it for me. And sometimes we say, if they only knew the real me, no one would want to be with me. All of these things are lies that come upon us because of shame. See, hope causes us to look upward. As you see, David says it here. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. So, he, so what happens is, is hope when we allow hope to enter into us, what it does is it gives us the strength to not look inward, but to look upward. It causes me to lift up my soul. That no matter how heavy my soul may be at the moment, God gives me the strength to lift it up. Hope causes me to ask for victory when there is none. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul in you I trust, O oh my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over you. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame, but they will be put to shame without excuse. Do you see what he's saying here? David is saying, look, he's saying, don't let my enemy triumph over me. What is David searching for? Victory. 
See, so when we put our hope in God, what we're looking for is victory. And so the atmosphere begins to change because think about it. God is all victorious. He defeated hell. He defeated sickness. He defeated, he defeated death. He defeated the grave. He defeated sin. He's done all these things. And so if I'm going to look for victory, I have to look to the one who is victorious in my life. And that is Jesus Christ. Amen. So no matter how heavy my spirit may be at the moment, hope causes me to ask for victory when there is none. Hope erases shame. It teaches me to walk a path I may, have not, I, may have not, I may not know or I may have forgotten. See, shame clouds my eyes to the path that God asked me to walk. Shame causes us to walk a lonely road. So it teaches me to walk a path I may not know or have forgotten. Hope renews our vision of God and who he is, and he is the God of all hope. Shame's grip is loosed at the moment that I encounter God. The Bible tells us that those of us who look to him, their faces are never covered with shame. So the minute I begin to lift up my soul, the minute I begin to lift up my eyes, the minute I begin to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, shame is erased. The second way that we can deal with shame is we have to understand that God's love is the antithesis to shame. Verses 6 through 10. It says, remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For you are good, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them all his ways. For all the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. For shame to be eradicated in our lives there are two people that need to get involved in it. One is God, but the other is me. See, I have, to be, I have to be willing and humble to learn a new way. See, it says here, remember your great mercy and love. I want to let you know something, that God finds worth in each and every one of us. God finds worth in you. He finds worth in who you are. He created you with a purpose, with a meaning. He created you with great joy. He created you with immense happiness. He pronounced blessing upon you. And he gave you a path. And sometimes we stray from the path. Sometimes we fall. Sometimes we falter. Sometimes we enter into things we shouldn't enter into. And shame begins to come upon us. But I want to let you know that God finds you worthy. And he finds you of great value and of worth. And his love is the antithesis to shame. 
See, shame pronounces you as unworthy. That's not for me. I'm not worthy of God's love. In all reality, none of us are. But see what love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God. And then it says, and that is what we are. So because we're children of God, God finds great worth in us. Shame wants to pronounce us as unworthy. I want to talk to you a moment about love. You ever see old people in the, elderly people in the mall or somewhere around and they're still holding hands? And you wonder, what's the secret? Well, you can see them alongside the shuffleboard courts in Florida or on the porches of an old folks' home up north. An old man with snow white hair, a little hard of hearing, reading the newspaper through a magnifying glass. An old woman, yeah, I'm already doing that. Oh, somebody said, oh, thank you. Yeah, I got the, um... anyway. An old woman in a sh shapeless dress, her knuckles gnarled by arthritis, wearing sandals to ease her aching arches. They are holding hands, and in a little while they will totter off to take a nap. Who says old age isn't good? And then they will cook supper, not a very good supper, and then they will watch television, each knowing exactly what the other is thinking until it is time for bed. They may even have a good soul-stirring argument just to prove that they, are, they still really care. And through the night, they will snore unabashedly, each resting content because the other is there. They are in love. They have always been in love, although sometimes they would have denied it. And because they have been in love, they have survived everything that life could throw at them, even their own failures. Amen? Now, if that's a picture of love, how much more us being imperfect do you think God loves you in the midst of your failure and shame? Love conquers shame. And it's the love of God that breaks the power of shame over our lives. It's the love of God that finds us when we're hiding. It's the love of God that pursues us when we don't want to be pursued. It's the love of God that covers us when we sin. It's the love of God that covers us in our shame. It's the love of God that restores us and gives us hope. It's the love of God. See, God's love for you is the kryptonite. Rabbi, that's in there just for you. God's love for you is the kryptonite that renders shame powerless. Number three. Shame looks to rob us. God looks to prosper us. Verses 11 through 15. 
See, the Bible tells us that the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says that I have come to give you life, and that more abundantly. So we see here, For the sake of your name, O Lord, blot out my iniquity, though it is great. Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. He will spend his days in prosperity, and his descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. So shame robs us, but God looks to prosper us. You see, God forgives us. Shame condemns us. God teaches us to walk our path. Each and every one of us have a different path. I can't walk your path because I wasn't created to be you. And you can't walk my path because you aren't me. Thank God. But we all have a path in life that God created for us. I know when I pray for my daughter when she's going to school and I pray for her, I always pray that God give her the eyes to see the path that he's created for her. That he gives her the heart to respond to it and the feet to walk it. We all have a path. And one of the purposes in the schemes of the Lord is to get us off that path. See, Adam and Eve had a path. It was a simple path. All of these trees, you can eat from. But this peach tree, and it had to be a peach. It couldn't have been an apple. Because you can take your peach before you even eat a peach. I, I, I don't know. We get up there. If I'm right, I'm going to go, ha! If I'm wrong, all of heaven's going to look at me. I'm going to go, all right, I'm wrong. But I think it was a peach tree. Because <clears throat> it says it was good and it was desirable to look at. I don't know about you, but when I look at a peach, I, I, before I eat it, I could taste it. And I'm already, my mouth is already getting watery. When I look at an apple, an apple is boring. So I, I, I don't know, you know. It's, it's just me. But we see here, Adam and Eve, they had a path. And that path was to not walk towards that tree. Not to partake of that tree. Not to eat of that tree. And yet, where did they find themselves one day? They were by the tree. See, sometimes we want to go just to the edge and no further. You see, when we get to the edge, guess who's there? Satan. See, that's what Adam and Eve did. They went to the tree. They got to the edge. And there they met Satan. And there he tempted them. And when he tempted them, they were enticed. And because they were enticed, the man stepped back and didn't cover his wife. And because the man stepped back, and the woman was enticed, and because she ate, and then he partook, shame entered into the picture. See, when we, when we stray off the path and we, we, we kind of compromise our life and we go to the edge knowing that we're on the edge, looking for a little excitement, 
we are enticed. And the moment we're enticed, immediately the enemy exposes us. And he shames us. And he guilts us. And we hide. So God created a path. And the reason why he created your path was the fact is, is it says that this, this tree, the, the enemy says, you know, God, it's desirable for knowing good and evil. I can handle good, but I can't handle evil. You can handle good, but you can't handle evil. God never intended us to handle evil because we can't handle it. And because of that, they strayed from the path. And when we stay on the path that God created for it, it's a good path. And even though evil may, it may uh, try to come against us in the path, when we're on the path, we're strong enough to recognize evil because we know we're on a good path. We're in a right relationship with God that we can come against evil. It's only when we play with it, compromise, live on the edge, that evil entices us and we fall and we get wrapped in shame. But we see here that while shame looks to rob us, God looks to prosper prosper us. He forgives us where shame condemns us. He teaches us to walk our path while shame tries to cripple us in our path if we allow it. See, God wants to prosper us. And immediately when we think of prosperity, we think of money. That's not always the case. I don't need money to be prosperous. Favor prospers me. See, if I walk in the favor of God, it says that even my enemies are at peace with me. Prosperity comes because we're walking free of shame and we're walking in obedience. God can bless us. And God can prosper us. God can lift us up. God can strengthen us. God can give us wisdom. God can give us comfort. God can use us to bring others on their path. God can take us to places and trust us. It's awfully hard to share the love of God when we're wrapped in shame. It doesn't come across strong. It doesn't come across sincere. Sometimes, matter of fact, when we feel the need to do it because of our own shame, we step back. And that person that we're meant to talk to, we can't talk to because we've been rendered weak. See, shame robs us, but God looks to prosper us. God breaks the chains of shame's hold on us. Number four, kind of closing this down. In life, there really are only two places to hide. We see it here in the psalm. That David wrote, it says here, Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have multiplied. Free me from my anguish. Look upon my affliction and my distress. Take away all my sins. See how my enemies have increased and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Let me not be put to shame. For I take refuge 
in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope is in you. See, there are two places in life that you can really only hide. You can either hide in the Lord or you can hide in shame. When I hide in the Lord, I find great blessings. See, there's great blessings from hiding in the Lord, and I'm going to give you six of them. The first is, he's gracious to me when I'm lonely and afflicted. All of us at times go through times of loneliness and affliction. There are times when we're walking our path that others can't walk. Or we'll go through things and others can empathize, but they can't sympathize. No, they can sympathize, but they can't empathize. They can't know the emotion that you're going through. They can look at you in a distance and say, I'm sorry for what you're going through, but they have no answer. Or I'm praying for you. And that's a good place. And thank you for the prayers. Amen? But they don't know what the anguish and the affliction is at times when we go down our path. But if we're on that path and we're not walking in shame, God is gracious to us when we're lonely and afflicted. He frees me from my anguish. He takes away my sin. He guards my life. He rescues me. He restores integrity and uprightness and hope once again. If I hide in the Lord, I receive his blessings and his characteristics flow through me that I receive mercy, I receive grace, I receive comfort in affliction. I'm free from anguish. He takes away my sin. I have someone guarding my life instead of my life being exposed. He's guarding it now. He rescues me when I'm in need of rescue. He, re he restores integrity and uprightness when I've squandered it. And he gives me hope to walk the path once again. Now if you choose plan B, hiding in our shame, there's no blessing at all. Matter of fact, there's zilch, there's nada, there's none, there's niet, there's zip. Shame has no blessing at all. Shame, there's no comfort. Shame, there's no peace. So there's no need to hide in shame when the grace of God and all of his blessings come to me when I hide in him. The crescendo of Psalm 25 is great at the end when he says here, Redeem Israel, O God, from all their troubles. What's troubling you today? Are you at a place of shame? Are you hiding in the Lord? Or are you hiding in shame? Did you find it difficult to enter into worship today because of something that you're hiding in your heart that's causing you shame? First of all, God loves you. Secondly, 
He doesn't shame his children. The devil does. So find your hope in God alone today. Understand that God's love is the antithesis to your shame. Understand where shame has robbed us, God would look to prosper you. And understand there's two places to hide. Why hide in shame? When the blessing of God, hiding in him, releases it and prospers you and gives you hope in the future. Let's bow our heads.